So um, Elizabeth and her husband, Doug, are based at uh, Bethel Church, Redding, California. I think we are really honoured to have her here today. I think this is the first time you've been here in flesh to minister here, this kind of message that you'll be bringing us. So this is the first time it's touched the ground in the UK. So that's amazing that you found little old Holton Heath (laughs) and us. So we're really, really pleased. Um, Elizabeth has the most amazing testimony of transformation in her life. Um, I will let her uh, explain some of that for herself. But God has been just such an amazing uh, force in her life to reveal to her her true identity, saving her out of all sorts of trouble, all sorts of confusion, all sorts of pain, so that she can stand before you today whole, knowing who she is, and with compassion and mercy for people who ha- are currently experiencing the kind of things that she went through. So could we just extend our hands towards Elizabeth and bless her she comes to pray. Thank you that you are her Abba and our Abba and that she belongs to you. And we welcome the message that she carries today a message of hope and transformation. We pray that she would feel completely at home and free in this place. We want to receive the reward that she carries. In Jesus' name, amen. What I forgot to say she does at Bethel is that uh, she, along with a, a couple of other guys, helped to deliver the uh, Morality Week at the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, which, you know, there are, I don't know, a couple of thousand in total, maybe, students uh, attending who want to explore all sorts of questions to do with sexuality, gender issues, and so on. And so this isn't the only message that uh, Elizabeth carries, but that's part of her role is facilitating conversation in that area. Is that okay? Good. Well, for starters, I just want to tell you that I'm deeply honored to be here. I'm so blessed to be here. Um, I was the emotional one that Heather was responding to. I was coming apart during worship, just so thankful for being here and being able to share and um, bring you into my story and bring you under some of the revelation that the Lord has given me that's given me great healing. And so I just want to start by asking you to uh, maybe shut your eyes and uh, open, your, open your arms, open your posture, and um, take, a, take a deep breath and get into touch with your own spirit. Just take a deep breath. 
And I want you to feel just the life of your own spirit in communion with the Father. Fully enveloped by him and his love. Fully a part of his righteousness. Completely blessed. Completely accepted. Feel the purity of his own heart. Adonai. Adonai. We worship you. We surrender to this place of perfect peace, perfect acceptance, where right now we're just ourselves. We're no one else but just ourselves. Thank you. I just invite you to feel fully alive. Feel the joy of his desire for you. Think of the times when you felt the most fulfillment in your life. And feel his pleasure over your life. Right here, this is the place where I received most of the healing of my life. And so maybe you are too. I just want to invite you to release to him everything that burdens you, everything that you care about, everything that you want to protect, everything you value. Maybe even everything that you have thought you are in the past, but you don't want to be anymore. Just maybe hold those things out in your hands, in your mind, and let him come and take it. It's really that simple. He can really easily take things that crowd our lives. It seems, sometimes it seems too good to be true.
read a scripture passage to you to get started from the first chapter of John. I don't really want you to leave that place, so try to hold on to that connection. But it's the story of Nathaniel, which... which I really love. So it says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip said, oh, and Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I've heard all different descriptions or understandings of this passage, but I want to share with you my own understanding. A lot of people think that Nathaniel was being sarcastic. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But I want to propose that Nathaniel was a student of Scripture, and so probably a Pharisee. He had been in John's circles, and so he had been hearing the message of the Messiah, and so he was pouring over expectantly the scriptures. And so to present a Messiah from Nazareth, it couldn't possibly be the Messiah. He would have had to be from Bethlehem. And so Nathaniel is somewhat incredulous. And so we see in that moment that he's a seeker of truth. Nathaniel sought the truth. And so he comes to Jesus' presence and Jesus sees him and without speaking to him knows the deepest passion of his heart. There's no deceit. You're an Israelite indeed. So Nathaniel had been seeking to be holy. He had sought to be righteous. 
he was seeking to be a true Israelite. He had engaged John, so um, John was preaching a message of the kingdom, that the Messiah was going to come. And so that meant that true, the true Israelites, the, the ones that believed in the nation of Israel, were coming to be baptized. Um, those were the ones that were swearing loyalty to the law. They were the ones that were swearing loyalty to the new kingdom that was coming. And so Nathaniel was a part of that, and, and Jesus saw him and immediately called out the passion of his heart and made this declaration. You know, we love declarations. He made this declaration over Nathaniel that perhaps Nathaniel was unaware of and made this statement of identity, you are an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So from that moment, we know that Nathaniel walked a powerfully different walk for the rest of his life. So Nathaniel's walk from that moment forward was representative, if you will, of what God was bringing forth in Israel. And so we get to witness in this passage this amazing transformation and also the heart of Jesus and how he operated a little bit. He, he was able, it's no wonder that people just followed him because he bestowed identity. Just naturally, he looked at you and he saw precisely who you were. There wasn't any guessing. Right? There was no guessing with Jesus, so he could walk up to Stubby and say, you know, and, and so he, yeah. Um, and, and so he would call out, say, the pure heart of some. And so it was so compelling. But you couldn't help but be in his presence and know that that's how he related to you. Because he saw you as you are. That's just how Jesus was. Imagine that. Being in someone's presence where you suddenly were authentically yourself and perfectly accepted. Not only that, highly valued. No wonder how how compelling he must have been. But then he says... Jesus says to Nathanael, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. So Jesus probably is referencing a moment of prayer in Nathanael's life. So I picture in my mind that Nathanael, in this season of walking with John as a disciple of John, was praying for the Messiah to come. Imagine what that would be like if you had been praying that the Messiah would come. And then the Messiah walked up to you and said, I am answering your prayer today. Not only that, you will not only see the answer to your prayer, but I want you, he's calling him into his discipleship, I want you to follow me so that you can see the fullness of what you've been praying for. We don't always pray that way, 
expectantly, thinking that what we would pray would come to pass. And I'm pretty sure Nathaniel was shocked. So no wonder, just at the moment that everyone's saying, okay, we think this is the Messiah, we think this is the Messiah, Nathaniel walks up to Jesus. Jesus says, I saw you praying. Of course, Nathaniel's going to say, since he, he made this declaration that pierced him like a heart about his own sense of self and identity, something that he recognized as absolutely true. And, and then Jesus called him out about this place of prayer. Of course, Nathaniel's response is, you are God. Selah. Let's just think about that for a minute. Wow. I actually had an experience like that. A little bit like that. that this passage um, is so deeply personal to me. Um, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and shortly after that came out as a lesbian. Now, I had struggled with both of those things uh, all my life. I had had very severe difficulty um, in my own sense of self, in my own relationships with my parents, with my peers. Um, I had, but I had great promise. I had so much hope for my life in my early 20s. Um, I had, I went to Durham. I went to uni at Durham. Um, I was graduating at the top of my class. I really thought that I had a, a future in, in academia. I was hoping to get a post-grad and, and stay in the ivory tower. That was my, my plan. Oh, I'm pacing. So I then got caught up in in this world where I wasn't going that direction, and it broke my heart. And I had a major mental breakdown. Um, Had a major manic episode and then a mental breakdown where I was hospitalized. And after that, I was really seeking to to grab onto something that was true, something that that felt solid for me to stand on, and that was really my sexual identity as a lesbian. And so I came out in an effort to be true to who I thought I was. Well, for the next uh, close to 15 years, I really struggled with bipolar disorder. Um, I was called to the ministry I went to a Presbyterian seminary, openly gay, and pursued a degree um, in the Presbyterian Church, uh, a Master's of Divinity, so that I could be ordained. And I was pursuing that in a time before the Presbyterian Church would actually ordain gays and lesbians. Um, But I was trying to push. I was trying to push the church in that direction. And so I was one of probably a half dozen students in seminary who were out. And I was active in ministry into the gay community um, as part of the affirming church, so inviting gays and lesbians into the church. And at the end of my degree period, the period of study, I couldn't hold it together. And so I had yet another major breakdown 
and I was hospitalized for 30 days, and at the end of that time found I couldn't, I just couldn't go on. So I left Chicago, and I moved deep in Illinois, about 500 miles south, and began doing as much ministry as I could. So I was so broken among young people. And in that season, I was angry. I was just angry with God because this is not, it wasn't the way I had hoped things would work out. You know, I, um, because I, I graduated early from seminary, I didn't have an ordainable degree. So I knew that my hope for becoming a pastor was a wash. Um, I had moments of psychosis, and so that would mean I would be a little bit unaware, dissociated, and so I was never quite sure what I would do in those moments, and I was often suicidal. And so I had just a rough time. And I also, you know, had a deep sense of self-hate and self-rejection. And so I was mostly masculine. I was butch. And so I rejected everything that I could about femininity. And I showed up in southern Illinois just broken, but unable to give up on God. Now, I don't know why that is exactly, but even though I was super angry and uh, I kept going to different ministries, different opportunities to just see if I could hear something fresh. Now, I, I, okay, I was ostensibly a pastor, right? But I was searching for whether God was really there because I didn't see much evidence in my own life. And one night, I, I was invited by a local pastor to come to, um, come to a youth outreach. They had a storefront church of 50 teenagers and three adults. And I went that night and... Uh, I experienced something I had never seen before. I had never seen what it looked like when the Holy Spirit was active. So I was operating at the time from a very well thought out social justice gospel message. Very complex and probably honorable, but not intimate philosophy of God. And then the Holy Spirit hit. And young people started speaking in tongues. Some people were on the floor. I was definitely kneeling, cowering, really. And a 17-year-old boy approached me, and he said, I have a word from the Lord for you. And it was, well, I didn't know what to say to that, but I wouldn't turn it down, right? That would be what unwise, if it really were. I'd never heard of a prophetic word or anything like that. But I said, okay, what is that? And he, and he gave it to me, and it was a direct response to something I had been praying. And in that moment, I thought, huh, maybe God knows who I am. And honestly, that had never been in the cards for me. I had never, because God was holy and majestic and huge and inaccessible, and so... I thought, hmm, maybe he knows who I am. And if he does, I don't know who he is. 
even though I had studied Hebrew and Greek and to to make my finals, I had translated whole whole books of the Bible and still I couldn't in that moment think, what is a passage where he describes himself? So I felt challenged to pick up a Bible and I did that and began highlighting every passage of scripture that described him. I wasn't looking for rules of living. I was just looking for what, who is he, what's he like? And um, so the first one, the first passage that really impacted me was from, from Exodus, right? Exodus 34, where Moses is hidden in the cleft of the rock and, and the Lord comes by and says, I'll print, I'll I'll declare my name to you. And he says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy, forgiving in iniquity. And it made me hungry for more of that. And so I began reading all of Scripture just to see God. And in the process, really, um, started to discover myself. And so that reality that Nathaniel experienced, where he saw Jesus, and Jesus made a declaration over him, I'm sure he became that, and then moved into his destiny. That became my life, really. And in that process, as I began to uh, search for the Lord, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know how to hear him speak to me. I only knew that I could feel something. And I was taking so much medication that it wasn't a lot that I was feeling. Um, But I felt for the first time in my life that, that he wanted me. Someone wanted me. But not only that, he, he accepted me as I was. But I didn't even know who I was. But that didn't bother him. He accepted me. He wanted me. He was pursuing me. And that experience of his love. So love is an assignment of worth. We often say, you know, I love, love, you know, I speak regularly on homosexuality. And often people say, love the sinner, hate the sin. Or we want to love gay couples that come into the church. We want to love gay people. But really, we need to think think about what love is and realize that when we say that we love someone, We're really saying we want you. We really value who you are. But I felt that. And I I had experienced so much abandonment, so much rejection, so much inner turmoil. Because the, the experience of my life really, you know, it's hard for me to say how how closely interwoven the experience of bipolar disorder was with the experience of lesbianism. I I can't know that. Um, But I do know that uh, 
as I gradually began to feel comfort from the Lord, I began to get relief from the symptoms of bipolar disorder. And also, I began to to come to terms with myself as a woman. I began to think that the scripture could actually speak to my predicament. So I had a really, um, once again, well-thought-out concept of scripture and homosexuality in the Bible, um, fully rejecting any passage that, that referenced same-sex behavior as unrelating or, or not uh, contextually accurate to what I was experiencing. And I began to question that because I was seeing this language in Scripture about the beauty of being a bride, the, the power of, of what God had created, and I realized that there wasn't much in Scripture that really could uphold the viewpoint that I had. And I also began to realize that I wanted him more than anything else in the world. Because it was, he was able to meet me in places where other people couldn't. So I would have these moments of very severe depression where I basically shut down. And I would have trouble even speaking. Um, I, I would just sit and languish in this place. And I began to feel that the Lord could communicate with me in that place, even though I couldn't always communicate. And so I began to wonder, no, I began to believe that that giving myself to him or surrendering everything about my life to him I don't know if I actually, I don't really know if I thought that I would ever get healing. I, you know, uh, growing up and being in the Presbyterian church, we didn't, we prayed for healing, but it wasn't, we didn't activate healing. Um, we didn't walk in the, in the gifts of the Spirit knowledgeably. So we were unaware of the Holy Spirit moving, really. And, and so I had been diagnosed, you know, by medical doctors, psychiatrists, and, and so I consider, it was considered a medical condition. And so I didn't feel that I would ever get healing from that. But if it was just depression, I you know, that might pass. But no, I thought I'd never get healing, and so I never really tried. I didn't ask the Lord to be healed. I didn't ask the Lord. I never, I never tried to repent in the, of, sexuality, of my sexuality issues. I didn't. Those, both of those realms were okay. Um, I felt God accepted me as a lesbian because scripture didn't condemn me, and I felt that I'd never be healed. So I didn't really press into the Lord for those things. Instead, I pressed into the Lord to experience more of that feeling that we had at the beginning of when I was speaking. That's it. I was sacrificing everything for that. Um, because I was seen, I was being seen by the Lord, and I was seeing him. And so at some point, 
about about 18 months later then, I began, um, I, I released kind of ownership of my life again to the Lord and said, you know what, if, if any of these things are incompatible with you, I don't want them. So I repented of homosexuality. It's like, if this is it, I'm, I don't care what happens, I'm letting go of that. And I also met my husband. Um, I, I, well, I didn't meet him for the first time. He was actually the pastor that, in, that brought me to that crazy, charismatic youth outreach. But, uh, and he was a very instrumental part of my experience of God in that season. But for the first time ever, I looked at him and thought, this is a safe man. And I began developing desire for him, which, which is horribly uh, difficult. It was humiliating, actually, because I had staked my life, everything I had believed on this sense of identity and been active you know, promoting it from the pulpit even, and then found that it wasn't the truth. It wasn't the truth about who I was. It was very, very difficult pill to swallow. Um, but I have a beautiful marriage today. Um, and probably I've been more transparent with my husband than most, most other people. He's seen a lot, heard a lot from me, walked with me through a lot. So I just want to show you a little bit of what the Lord did upending my understanding of Scripture. Um, one day, I was meditating on the Ten Commandments. And I thought, why would you write that? And I realized that they were a description of him. They weren't just something he arbitrarily was passing on to us that he wanted us to conform to this set of rules. No, actually, he was releasing an idea to humanity of what it looked like to be conformed to the image of Christ. So he's describing Jesus. What's the character of Jesus? And you can take that into the Sermon on the Mount, which is so amazing. You know, when you preach, you just, you typically operate out of your day-to-day experience. So whatever the Lord is telling you in that week, typically, or in that season, that's where you're preaching from. You're, You're taking from your own personal experience and you're giving it to the people around you. Well, picture this. Consider that in the Beatitudes, Jesus is describing himself. He's describing his own experience of life through the Sermon on the Mount. We know that because he says, I'm the fulfillment of Scripture. I'm the fulfillment of the law. He lived a sinless life. That means that all of these behavioral restrictions are, you know, maybe they're not restrictions, invitations um, are actually conforming us to the image of Christ. They are actually his own character. 
And, you know, Jesus says, I don't say anything that I haven't heard from the Father. So think about this. Consider for a moment Jesus' Father saying this to Jesus. Okay? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, blessed are those who are surrendered completely to God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was completely surrendered. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. He was pure in heart. He was a peacemaker. He was persecuted for righteousness sake. All of scripture is this invitation to see him so clearly. So clearly that we could in our own walk, our day-to-day walk, we could begin to walk out something on earth that would be his character. In, in my experience of reading the scripture like this, I discovered that the gospel message is this invitation into wholeness that is utterly desirable. You know, if, you, if there's any element of your life that you're pretty dissatisfied with and think the gospel offers me this amazing, noble life, of purity, of bliss in the Lord, joy and transformation. And God says, I want you to to do that because this is the most fulfilling experience a person could have. You know, as we all throw stones at you know, is homosexuality sin? And how are we going to deal with homosexuality? I just think, oh, but the gospel can be an experience of communion with God simply by knowing that you're walking out his own character and being conformed to the most noble and the most beautiful um, the, the wisest and most righteousness, righteous person and become that and glory in that and in your joy of being that, glorify God. And so it's not about leaving something behind so much as it's becoming something you can love. Loving yourself. In the place where that's unlocked 
It was unlocked for me. You know, it says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. And so for me, if I I try to understand what happened to me, how is it that I started in that place of deep despair and perversion and took on this walk of looking for Jesus and ended up feeling whole. Like today, I don't take any medications to control bipolar disorder. I'm completely healed of that. You know, I don't... um, I don't struggle at all in my sexuality. Um, I don't reject my femininity. Um, I God has given me so much justice for what I've gone through. In John 17, Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. And I want to tell you that when we see Jesus, when we see him as he is, we're compelled. We're just compelled to to go more deeply into who he is. And that place, it's not hard. There's not really much striving involved, but there is recognition. It changes us. And we're drawn to it. And God is creating in us, in all of you, this life of Christ so that you can become that compelling one. And there's, there's coming a time when the harvest is going to come and you are going to be as compelling as Jesus. People are going to want to be with you. They're going to seek to be seeking the the light that you shine because you're peace. You are love. You are the safe place. Because you're in communion with him, inside and outside. They can see it. Wow. Yeah. So maybe just in closing, I'd like it if you could, let's get back into that original place. Just um, shut your eyes and get into an easy place. And let's just take a deep breath. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. Just elevate our own spirits to the Lord. 
and receive his transformational power. And maybe even see him. This merciful one. This pure-hearted one. He's pure-hearted. So every thought he has towards you is life-giving. So I just release that life to you. You are all amazing and precious and cherished. Just take one more breath. Spirit, I ask that you would come and just touch us, touch us individually. You know what we need. You see our hearts. You see him doing personal ministry to each one of you. Maybe you've had trauma. Or maybe he's telling you, I just see, see the Holy Spirit saying, I'm proud of you. You are the light of the world. Thank you, Lord. Maybe ask the Lord a question like, what do you see and love about me today? Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Father, we worship you. We're so grateful for you. So thankful for what you're doing and what you've done. We bless you. Father, what a gift you are to us. 
We just receive you today. We just love you with all that we are. This perfect surrender because you're worth it. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your kingdom come inside of us. Take dominion inside of us. Lord, you're the king of our hearts. Not just around us, but completely overtake us inside. You are the king of my life. Establish your kingdom on the inside. so much for listening and coming today. Just bless you. Bless you. Thank you so much. Wow. That was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. Well, I think the 